Thanks. Uh, good evening, church. Nice to see you. I'm going to keep your Bibles open there, and I'm going to pray for us. Our Father, we are so thankful that you love us enough to teach us and correct us and rebuke us and comfort us. Father, we don't want to be those people who remain unchanged, so Spirit of God, would you do a mighty work in us and through us tonight? And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to talk about two young, gifted evangelists. I'm sure you've heard of one of these people. He was used by God in incredible ways. This man preached the gospel all around the globe, and I'm not kidding, probably led millions of people to Christ. Uh, we know his name. His name is Billy Graham. I'm assuming you've heard of Billy Graham, yep? But my guess is that not many here tonight have heard of a man called Charles Templeton. Uh, Charles Templeton was a gifted evangelist who worked alongside Billy Graham. He was a, a dynamic preacher. Uh, he, he had that dynamic personality. He, he could hold a room. And Billy Graham and Charles Templeton, they preached together all across the globe. They planted churches together. They spoke on conferences together. In many ways, Charles Templeton outshone Billy Graham. He was just more persuasive. He was just more dynamic. And Charles went to be a pastor of a church, and he preached at Yale University. And then one day, at the peak of his ministry in 1957... Charles Templeton announced to the world that he no longer believed in Jesus. He renounced his faith. He rejected the scriptures. He rejected the gospel. He rejected Christ. It's a tragic tale. Billy Graham, who was faithful to the end, is now in glory. And Charles Templeton denied Christ with his dying breath. Isn't that tragic? But sadly, it's not a one-off story. Many so-called Christians have wandered from the faith. Many people that I was at Bible college with 25 years ago are no longer calling themselves believers. Many people who sat in these chairs have walked away from Christ. No, 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 don't be scared. I'm not trying to scare any of us. We, we do believe in a God who holds on to those who are his. If you are truly a, a child of God, he will never let you go. He will cover you in his grace. He will bathe you in his love. He will take you to glory. Please don't be scared. But my point is this, that just because you look like a believer doesn't mean that you really are a believer. Uh, today, we're looking at the tale of two disciples. We know them both well. One is called Peter, and one is called Judas. Peter and Judas, these two men who lived with Jesus, listened to Jesus, claimed to love Jesus, both of these men witnessed these miracles, that they saw Jesus' power over demons and death and disease. And both of these men, they stuffed up big time. They both sinned. The day before he died, they both sinned, they both denied Jesus. And yet one of these men, Peter, we, we elevate and we honor and we love him. But the other man, Judas, we despise him and we hate him and we dishonor him. Now all around the world today, there are churches named after St. Peter, there are 
lots of people named Peter. We love the name Peter, the rock. But in 30 years of ministry, I've never baptized a child called Judas. Because that name is synonymous with betrayal and being a traitor. Now, why is this? Why is this? I want to be really honest with you. This sermon has weighed really heavily on me this week. I didn't sleep much last night because I was so unsettled. It's a, it's a heavy message tonight. If you are new tonight, we, we normally have lighter messages, but tonight's a heavy message. And I'm not preaching this message to scare us. I, I'm preaching it because I love you. And Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And when he says that, he, he's not saying, get out there in the world and love the marginalized and the poor and the needy. He does say that elsewhere. But at this point, he's saying love each other as disciples. So within the church family, love each other. But loving each other doesn't always mean we say all the nice, comfortable, cozy things. Sometimes to love each other, we need to get a bit of tough love and a word of warning. And this is a kind of tough love sermon tonight. Let's start with Judas. I've called him the unthinkable traitor, the unthinkable traitor. It's unthinkable that people would betray Jesus and walk away from Jesus and walk away from their faith. Verse 21 is a shocking verse. Look at it with me. Jesus was troubled in spirit. There's that window into his humanity again. He, he is troubled, he's agitated, he's shaken He's distressed because he knows that that Satan is coming. He knows he's about to be betrayed. He's about to experience deep hatred. And he testified another John word 33 times. John says he declared, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. The disciples are shocked. They are confused. It's unthinkable. It's unthinkable that one of those 12 would, would betray Jesus, not one of them. When Jesus spoke to Judas in verse 27 and says, what you're about to do, do quickly, the disciples are confused. They don't get it. They, they think perhaps Judas is going to go out and spend some money to buy more food for the Passover or give it to the poor. Because it's unthinkable that one of these 12 could betray Jesus. And it's unthinkable that one of us here tonight at church could betray Jesus, isn't it? Not at the Bridge Church. Not one of our staff, not one of our preachers. That's unthinkable, isn't it? And because we think it's unthinkable, I think we tend to to read John 13 through this lens that this is just a one-off, a unique case, a special case. And that is partly true because no other man in history has betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Judas was responsible for that betrayal in his crucifixion. But Judas is here as a warning for every one of us, lest we betray Lest we betray. That, that word betrayal is a horrible word, isn't it? 
It's the words that you get on those trashy magazines at the supermarket checkout. You know, betrayed, betrayal. It means to be backstabbed. It means to be abandoned. And then Judas started off really well. He was following Jesus. He was one of the inner circle. And actually, his closeness to Jesus makes it even more shocking. Look at verse 18. Uh, this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. And he quotes Psalm 41, the lament psalm, where David talks about a friend of his who sat at his table and ate his bread and then inexplicably stabbed him in the back. This is to fulfill. He who shared my bread has turned against me, has kicked me. It's that horrible feeling when a, a close friend of yours stabs you in the back. You might expect that from an enemy, but not a friend. That's why it's so shocking, because Judas was a friend. But Jesus wasn't shocked. Jesus knew. I hope you know that. Jesus always knew. He knows everything. He knew that Judas would betray him. He's not taken by surprise. He says in verse 19, I'm telling you now before it happens. So when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. He's, Jesus wants his disciples to know that he knows. So they won't be unsettled or shaken. Because that's what happens. It happens to me all the time. When a, a high-profile Christian wanders and rejects Christ, I'm kind of shaken by that. It's unsettling. So it's Thursday night of the Passover, the night before Jesus died. They're in the upper room. And we're told in verse 1 that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. So he knows he's about to hang on that cross. He knows that death is imminent. He knows he's about to be sacrificed like a lamb to take away the sins of the world. He knows all that. But look at verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's his motivation. Pure, unconditional, extravagant love. He just loves to his very last breath. And he even loved Judas. I hope you know that. He even loved Judas. He washed his feet. That's how much he loved him. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. That's the work of the devil. Prompting, tempting, teasing and deceiving. Now here's the question. Why? Why did Judas betray? What prompted this man to, to turn his back on the Savior? Now, if you read your Bibles and do a character study of Judas, it's fascinating. Judas is a man, listen carefully, who is obsessed with money. He's a greedy man. He, he lives for money. He, he loves money. Material wealth is his God. So do you remember when, when Mary anointed Jesus' feet with that expensive perfume? It is Judas who objects, not, not because he wants to give the money to the poor. We're told in chapter 12, no, he was the, the keeper of the money bag and he was a thief. So, so Judas was a man who had a head for figures and so he was chosen to be the church treasurer. But he loved money so much he kept on putting his hand in the money bag. He's a thief. He stole. He loved money. And here's how the story goes. 
Judas wanted to buy a piece of land to get you know, a, a foot on the property ladder, get, get a property near Jerusalem. And so he kept stealing more and more money. And when he was just 30 pieces of silver short of that deposit, he went to the priest and cut a deal with him and said, I will betray Jesus if you give me 30 pieces of silver. Remember that story? That's how much he loved money. He was willing to sell his soul for a piece of property. Now, does that sound familiar? Paul says in 1 Timothy, the the love of money is a, a root of all kinds of evil. Many have wandered away from the faith, wanting to get rich in this world. It's nothing new. As a pastor, I have watched many people who have sat where you're sitting tonight, and they love money. And money becomes their God, and they want to get more and more and more wealth, and suddenly Jesus is less important, and money is more important until they completely abandon their faith. Nothing new. It's not just money. I think Judas has got a completely wrong expectation of what it means to be a disciple. It's almost like Judas was disappointed or disillusioned with Jesus. That he'd followed Jesus for three years and he, he, he claimed to believe that he was the Messiah, but his idea of the Messiah is one of power and politics and fanfares and fireworks. He expected a celebrity status, but he got a humble servant. And so when Jesus starts talking about a cross and death and persecution and suffering. And when Jesus starts to teach things like, you must lose your life for me and deny yourself and suffer for me, that's not trendy anymore. That's not what he signed up for. He's kind of like the follower of Jesus who wants to follow Jesus for all the fringe benefits. But when the going gets tough, he's out of there. And again, I know lots of people like that. As I'm speaking tonight, maybe the Spirit is prompting you and warning you right now. Perhaps you are following Jesus for all the fringe benefits, the community, the culture, the perks. Back to our story. Jesus humbled himself and he took off his robe and he washed feet. But here they are at the table. Verse 23. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that is John who wrote this gospel, was reclining next to Jesus. Now, when you think of the Last Supper, please don't think of Leonardo da Vinci's painting. You know, that that long table with 12 men all staring at the camera. It's a painting, not a photograph. In reality, there was a low table and there were no chairs. They were on cushions and they were reclining around a U-shaped table. And John whispers to Jesus, Lord, Lord, who is it? Who's going to betray you? And Jesus answers in in verse 26, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. You've got to understand this. At the Passover, there's a large bowl on the table and it had raisins and figs and dates that had been mashed together with, with salt and vinegar and herbs to make a kind of dip, a bit like a hummus with some pita bread. And the host would dip the bread into this mixture. Now understand this. The person to whom the host gave that first piece of bread was the guest of honor, a sign of friendship. Now look at this again. Jesus has invited Judas, 
to sit on his left hand side as a seat of honour. And Jesus has dipped the bread and given it to Judas as a sign of friendship and a sign of honour. And Jesus is leaning towards Judas, saying, I'm here for you. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, I'm going to love you to the end. You don't have to do this, Judas. I want to keep on loving you and loving you. Please, Judas, stop this. Will you repent? Because it's never too late. It is never too late. But it's almost like Judas's heart is so hard. His conscience is so seared. And again, I've seen people like that. Judas is so consumed by greed. I think Judas never really loved Jesus. He can't have. This phony, fake veneer, but monstrous hypocrisy. So verse 27, as soon as Judas took the bread, this is a horrible verse, Satan entered into him. Isn't that horrible? Now his greed, his ambition, his, that, that was the, the giving a devil a foothold, but now Satan enters into him. That, that piece of bread is, is not a symbol of the body and blood of Christ. It is a symbol of Satan. He's now a son of Satan, the point of no return. And verse 30, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. That is John's way of saying it is darkness because Judas is no longer walking in the light. He's in the darkness. He's got a dark, hard heart. And soon he'll return with his army of soldiers to betray Jesus. Judas is this terrible, tragic, unthinkable traitor. It's here as a warning. This is the tough love bit. In every church, in every city, in every country, in every age, there'll be fake, phony Christians. God warned us there'll be wolves in sheep's clothing. Hard-hearted, cold, callous people. I'm not sure we're surprised. We should be sad, but not surprised. I mean, a whole book of the Bible is written about this. It's called Hebrews. Read it. But friends, be warned, be warned. The, the, the wandering, the turning away from Christ, it doesn't suddenly happen. It's that slow, gradual drift. Here's a, a post from a former pastor who announced on social media this. After 40 years of being a devout follower of Jesus, 20 of those being an evangelical pastor, I am walking away from the faith. Even though this will be a massive bomb drop in your life, it's been decades in the making in my life. All those little, tiny, small decisions where you put self above Christ. I've been praying like crazy this week. It would not be us. It would not be us. So Judas, the, the unthinkable traitor. Let, let, let's look at Peter. I love Peter. I think he's one of my favorite Bible characters. I, I've called him the foolish, forgiven follower. I, I wanted to call him the impetuous puppy. Because he's kind of like a little puppy dog who is just bounding around with endless energy, but he's completely unchanneled and out of control. Uh, he is the one who, who lacks the maturity. So when, when, when Jesus first predicts he's about to die, he says, no, never, Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And here he is at the Last Supper, and he's like this puppy. 
Jesus is stooping low, washing feet. He's, he's taking the posture of a servant. He just wants to serve them and bless them and love them and cleanse them. But Peter can't stand that. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He doesn't understand that he needs to let Jesus serve him. And Jesus replied, verse 7, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but let you'll understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. That double negative. No, never, ever. I'll wash my own feet. Thank you very much. I think with Peter, there is a, a hint of pride. Now, deep down, Peter thinks that he knows better than Jesus. Like Peter to the rescue, Peter the hero. And Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. He's saying, Peter, if you want to be saved, you've got to let me serve you. He's not just talking about washing your feet here. I hope you know that. The, the washing of feet is a symbol about a, a, what he's about to do at that cross where he's going to be glorified. Just as he washes your feet, he's going to cleanse you, your heart. On that cross, he's going to wash you completely. He's going to forgive you completely. You're going to bathe in his grace and bathe in his love. And if you've been cleansed totally on the inside, you don't need to take a bath all the time. You just need your dirty feet washed. That's what he's trying to say here. I'm going to this cross on your behalf, Peter. I'm going to love you. I'm going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to bathe you in my love and grace. Let me do that for you, Peter. But Peter thinks he knows better. He's such a fool. And here's where the puppy comes in. Verse 9. Then, then, Lord, not my feet, but my hands and head. Wash all of me from one extreme to the other. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand that when, when you come to Christ, he, he completely cleanses you. But as you walk through daily life, your feet get dirty. You say things and do things and think things that are wrong. And so you just to keep coming back in repentance, in faith, asking for cleansing, asking for forgiveness. So, so, so Peter is silly, but he's saved. He, he's a fool, but he's forgiven. He's clueless, but he's a Christian. And Jesus said, I'm going away, verse 36. And he goes, where are you going? He thinks he's going somewhere here on earth. He's confused. He hasn't heard about Jesus going to glory. And Jesus replied in verse 36, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. What a great promise that is. Peter, you're going to come to heaven with me. You're going to go to glory with me. But Peter says, no, I want it now. Now, 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 now. He's like the impetuous toddler. I want it now, Jesus. And then he makes that stupid statement. In verse 37, I will lay down my life for you. Really, Peter? Spot the irony. Jesus is going to lay down his life for Peter, not the other way around. And Jesus says, really? Will you really lay down your life for me? I, I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he does. So what's wrong with Peter? I think he's overconfident. He's too sure of himself. He's actually unaware of his own weakness, his own frailties. He thinks he's a superhero. But deep down, it is pride. Listen carefully. Peter thinks that Jesus needs him. 
Peter thinks that Jesus needs him to complete his mission and to defend him. Jesus doesn't need him. Jesus can do anything. Why would he need Peter? It's not that Jesus needed Peter. It's that Jesus wanted Peter. Peter needs to understand that that Jesus doesn't need him, but he wants him and he loves him and he cherishes him. Not because of what Peter can give Jesus. He just loves him. Now, have you understood that? Jesus doesn't need you to do anything. Please don't think that Jesus needs you to sing on the band or preach a sermon or do some welcoming or serve the poor and needy. He loves it when you do do that, but he doesn't need you to do that as though you're earning his love in some way. He just loves you with his unconditional, sacrificial, selfless, extravagant, lavish love. And when you've grasped that, now as I have loved you, so you must love each other. As you grasp that Jesus loves you in this selfless, sacrificial, extravagant, lavish love, then you start to realize that as you go through life saying stupid things, doing stupid things, thinking that you're somebody, then Jesus keeps on whispering, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, let me wash your feet. Just come back to me, admit you've stuffed up, repent, and let me wash your feet. That's what I love about Peter. He's so different from Judas. Judas was full of sorrow, remorseful, maybe even regretful, but he never repented. Peter, he knows he stuffs up. When that cock crows, he wept. He was cut to the core. Because deep down, he knows that he's cherished and loved and a child of God. Now, do you know that? Jesus loves you not because of what you do. He just loves you. And when you grasp that, it's that daily, hourly, minutely, just keep coming back to Jesus to let him wash your feet. I've been a pastor for over 20 years. There's lots of things I regret I've done. One thing I regret not doing is warning people. Because often you see people making stupid decisions and just drifting and drifting and drifting. And it's loving just to say the hard word and say, I'm really concerned. (laughs) Come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. That's what I'm doing to you tonight. It's okay to be a Peter. We're all Peters. We all say stupid things and mess up as long as you keep coming back. But please, please don't be a Judas. Let me pray. Our Father, we are so overwhelmed that you'd love us just as we are. Lord, you don't need us, and yet you choose us. Lord, we are sorry for the, the pride within each one of us, the, the arrogance or the, the feelings that somehow we have earned anything or are worth things because of what we do. Thank you for the humility of our Savior, for the love of our Savior, for the sacrifice of our Savior. Lord, help us like Peter to keep coming back to the foot of that cross, pleading with you for forgiveness, knowing that we are cleansed, knowing that we are washed, knowing that we are clean and knowing that we are loved. 
We ask that for Jesus' sake.